Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and Happy New Year to all of you around the world. If we haven't already greeted you on one of our other Game Changers radio shows, today is Thursday, January 8, 2015. Woohoo! And this is the first episode of the new year for Future of Business with Game Changers. Let's get started. Well, you know if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. That goes without saying. So let's talk about our topic today. What is top of mind for business leaders as we enter 2015? What is keeping them away? wake at night. You probably can come up with a list of five or 10 or 20 things, but what we've heard, the buzz, is that there's one thing that comes right up to the top. It's breaking down internal complexity in their organizations to achieve simplification. That's it. Very, very simple. Why is this so important? Well, according to the Boston Consulting Group, Effectively managing complexity in your company can actually, get ready for this, help you grow your profit margins by 25% or more. And the question of the day is, wouldn't you love that for your company in 2015? Of course you would. But to achieve this level of transformation going from the big complexity to the simple simplification, you need radically thinking, agile leaders. They need to get it. They need to understand. What's the task at hand? They have to change your employees' mindsets. They have to retool the employee behaviors, and they have to reduce a lot of infrastructure business complexity. It's a big, tall order. Is your company ready? I have a panel of three experts today. We just just snagged our third panelist who's somewhere in a blizzard in the Alps. What a great story that's going to make when we come to the coffee break story. So we have a panel of three and let me get started. First up today is Neil Navaris. He's a global practice leader in leadership development and succession at Deloitte Consulting LLP. We love having Deloitte on the shows. And here's the quote that Neil sent me before the show. It's leadership is action, not position. And the quote is attributed to Donald McGannon, president and CEO of Westinghouse from 1957 to 77. Remember way back in the last century? Yes. And the president and later chairman. Neil Navaris, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the intro. Thank you. Talk to me about this interesting quote from McGannon. It's McGannon's first time on the show as well as yours, so talk to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an oldie but goodie, but I think actually timely when thinking about leading and complexity. Um, organizations, I've been reflecting, organizations have become so complex. Uh, we have much more matrixed uh, structures. Um, you know, who, who, who makes decisions uh, often is not as clear as it was back in McGannon's time. And therefore, you know, we, we're seeing the need for leaders at all levels to step up, to be decisive, to be clear, um, and to really take the reins in trying to reduce that complexity in the organizations. So does it take somebody whose mind is super organized to look at, uh, Neil, way back in the day, I was a mainframe programmer, if you can remember the, the big machines that were as big as a warehouse, IBM 4341, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, you know, you had to step up on a ladder to get into the, to put the uh, the, the drive, put the, the package to the drive and all that good stuff. And we used to call it spaghetti code, going back to my old IT roots, Neil. We used to say, here's a program that has been touched by so many people along the way, they just keep adding 
adding and adding and adding, and we have a pile of tangled spaghetti. And they come to me and say, well, Bonnie, why don't you untangle the spaghetti and simplify the program, simplify the code? So are we talking about somebody who has the ability to analyze, to step back and say, wait a minute, where's the fluff? Where's the tangle? How can we get to the root of it? And then how can we get everybody excited about making it happen? Is that the real task we're talking about, Neil? I, I think it's partly that, but it goes beyond that. Um, it goes beyond analysis because often we get paralyzed in that to mm-hmm. really good conceptualization. How does all of this complexity come together into a unifying whole? Um, what is the clear direction? What, what is the destination we're going toward mm-hmm. that people can self-organize around and then make decisions about you know, what things we can stop doing because we're really going toward a goal? And as I mentioned earlier, it also requires decisiveness. Leaders we know who are good at reducing complexity, um, they not only conceptualize and get people unified around a vision, they're decisive, and, they, and, and they're leaders that people really want to follow toward that destination. Thank you. I'm going to save my next question for the whole panel, but I'll just throw it out there now. Don't answer it yet, Neil. The question is, if a leader was part of creating that complexity, what is their credibility quotient in the, along the rank and file when they say, oh, now we have to simplify? But let's not answer that yet. I'm interested later. Thank you, Neil, for opening the show, and we are welcoming our second panelist. He is somewhere in Austria in the Alps. I'm not sure if he's on skis or on a lift, but he has managed to get to a phone, and we're grateful. It's H.H. Jorgensen. Hans-Henrik Jorgensen, Global Organization Change Management Leader at IBM. And here's a quote from HH. Six years ago, I wrote that constant change would become the new normal. This has become reality, and disruption has become every organization's constant companion. HH, thank you for joining us. Are you safe and dry and warm? Talk to me. I have just got my shoes off and I'm sitting and dripping here because I've got a little bit, despite the cold, sweaty here, uh, sprinting to make it to the phone. But uh, thanks, Bunny. Yes, I'm absolutely fine. And so what what we found is that um, we have what we talked about uh, six years ago is the change projects all over. People are complaining there's too much change going on. Now we're down to that. People are actually, I mean, I'm talking about decision makers, are complaining mm-hmm. about the total reorganization in their very own backyard, driven by strong forces of technology and market shifts. And, uh, and the tolerance uh, between the market success and failure has, been coming, uh, has become dramatically smaller. So, you know, everybody knows about survival. In, uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, found out that right now only three out of four organizations are ready for the digital working environment. It's something that I believe most listeners will know that's sure going to be our future. And so if only, sorry, three quarters, uh, three out of four are not ready um, Mm -hmm. for the digital working environment. Um, But at the same time, almost all of them, uh, almost 90% say this is what they're going to have placed in the next five years. So there's going to be a lot of change. So if you think um, uh, things are uh, changing a lot, if you think there's a lot of disruption going on, if you uh, think uh, the world is complex, well, you haven't seen the end of it yet. There's going to be more uh, over the next five years for sure. Thank you, HH. Tell me something. Uh, Where are you? I know you were coming in from a blizzard. Is everything okay? You said you're safe, but just give us a little little, uh, moment here. Are you okay? (laughs) Yes, thank you. So 
so you know um i was i was uh, seeking refuge in in a in a in a hut in the alps um on the skiing slopes three hours ago and realized you had to try and make it back and it got increasingly uh dramatic because uh two slopes that i was trying to find were being um what do you call it, blocked uh, i couldn't take them mm-hmm. so i had to keep taking another tour uh and uh, but um, now i'm safe and i hope uh that we can just uh, keep the schedule. We're, we're fine, and uh, we'll have to give you the award for the most courageous panelist at the start of 2015, maybe for last year, too. So thank you for joining us. And let's welcome our third panelist. I know she's warm and dry somewhere. It's Holly Benson. She's VP and founder and leader of Infosys Global Organizational Transformation Consulting Practice. That's a mouthful. That's a big business card. And Holly sent me the following quote from Rosalind Carter. Here's the quote. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but where they ought to be. Holly Benson, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? Fine. Thanks for joining us. And talk to me. Interesting quote from Ms. Carter. So how does this relate to our topic, and uh, how did you come to pick her? I think Rosalind obviously isn't normally thought of as a business leader, but her quote there really spoke to me, because I think with the kind of things we're talking about, with this kind of massive simplification, that's a transformative change. And any time you get into transformative change, you're in essence going to gore somebody's ox. You're going to encounter fear and resistance and foot dragging and uncertainty and discomfort. Um, it takes a great leader to overcome those things and really bring people to that future where they need to be. So her quote, uh, you know, while she's not a business leader, really spoke to me about the challenges that business leaders do face uh, confronting these sorts of problems. Very interesting point, Holly. You know, one of the most frequently quoted people living or no longer living on all of our radio shows is Albert Einstein. And I don't know that anybody would say he was a business leader or a business thinker, but his quotes are so applicable. So I'm delighted that you brought in a, a Rosalind Carter quote. That's that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to dial it back to Neil Navaris and ask a very difficult question. Neil, I think you know what's coming. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, or what will you be drinking after the show? Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, so right now it's in the morning, so I'll skip the boring coffee. But uh, one of my passions uh, is microbreweries. I'm a ro- uh, road warrior, and I'm on the road about 90% of the time. And one of those things that trying to keep consistent for me is I try and find a microbrewery in a different place. So I've already looked up the one here in Santa Clara, California. I'm going to go to tonight and uh, sample the IPA. Wonderful. Sounds terrific. Uh, save us a glass. H.H. Jorgensen, wherever you are, I don't know if you have anything in your hand you're drinking right now. I hope you are. But what are you going to be drinking right after the show? Give us a good one. I'm going to have a warm cup of elderberry juice. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but um, no. it's a very fresh and gentle taste. Um, elderberry is quite, um, uh, you can easily find it in most backyards in uh, northern Europe. Uh, so where we built a house, my wife and I, 10 years ago uh, in the Tablelands north of Frankfurt, we found there were some elderberry um, trees. And um, so in June, we harvest the uh, nice flowers, and it's very easy to make the juice, and we treasure it very much and drink it for, yeah, for as long as we have it or give it as present to the people and so on. But um, and here in Australia, they have it too, so I can get a warm cup afterwards. But then again... Um, 
one of my favorite drinks. I mean, that's certainly a little very, but I'm Scandinavian, so, and I think uh, Scandinavians are known to be able to drink anything, um, so I'll make my way. Thank you very much. I was expecting you to say something like a steaming mug of hot chocolate with a generous dollop of whipped cream and a little bit of rum for extra warmth. But then maybe I'm just dreaming about what I'm going to be drinking after the show. Thank you, H.H., very much. Holly Benson, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? I am calling from Houston, Texas, and I just got back from two weeks in Tanzania over the holidays. And with all due respect to all other coffee-producing nations in the world, I've got to tell you, I thought Tanzania has the best coffee I've ever had anywhere. So I treated myself to a couple bags of it to bring back, and I am enjoying a cup of Tanzanian coffee with a Diet Mountain Dew back. You can never have too much caffeine. Wow. (laughs) Okay, we'll go with that. And I have a little note here from David Fowler at SAP, who is the sponsor of this wonderful series. And he says, in his cup, Starbucks Christmas blend with a squeeze of caramel or caramel, depending on what part of the country you're from. Thank you very much. And on radio days, my panelists don't know this about me. They only let Bonnie have water. I can't have caffeine when I'm hosting radio. What can I tell you? We are off to a great start today. Our topic is Leaders 2020 leading simplification within your business. And as you all heard from our three guests, Neil Navaris at Deloitte, H.H. Jorgensen at IBM, and Holly Benson at Infosys, we have a lot to discuss, talking about the leaders and their mindsets and their expertise. How did their companies get that complex? What is the mindset they need as a leader to change the mindset of the followers, if you will, the rank and file, and the rest of the leadership team to get to the right level of simplicity so that they can propel their company forward with better profit margins in 2015. That's a lot to talk about. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back after a quick 90-second break, and we will launch into our 30-minute nonstop roundtable. Leading us off will be Neil Navaris at Deloitte. So, Neil, get ready. Let's take our first break. Brad out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. 
Business is here today on SAP Radio. We are talking with Neil Navaris at Deloitte, H.H. Jorgensen at IBM, and Holly Benson at Infosys. And thank you all to our panelists for joining us today. So, Neil Navaris, we're going to kick off the roundtable with some notes you sent me before the show. Let me read where I would like to go, and then you take it wherever you want it to go. So the topic, the comment you made is equity analysts place an 18% leadership premium, and that's in quotes, on stock price. And you explained that's trillions of dollars in real value at the S&P 500, and the source is a Deloitte leadership premium report from 2012. Why don't you unravel all of that for us, please, Neil Navaris, and let's get started. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. So, you know, we, we hear from organizations all the time that leadership is a, is a complex issue and one that uh, they're spending quite a bit of resources to try and address, improving the pipeline of leaders at all levels, um, often to address uh, taking out complexity in organizations um, and really focusing on a few very clear goals for growth. Um, the, the interesting thing about this report, we asked 500 equity analysts um, do you actually place a premium in your valuation of stock if you see a quality of leadership um, on the executive leadership team? And the answer was yes, and the spread was 35% actually. There was an 18% uh, premium for companies that they said had really good leadership in place and a 17% discount. So we're talking about real value um, that's left on the table if companies aren't really focusing on improving the quality of their leadership. And that leads to kind of an interesting set of questions, because if a lot of money is being spent, um, so for example, our, our Burson research arm uh, uh, estimates that $14 billion is spent every year on developing leaders, um, how is that best done? And um, are there simpler ways to do that? Um, one of the things that we've noticed uh, over the years in not just working with clients but also in our own 200,000-person organization is that oftentimes you can approach developing leaders in an overly complex way. There's no simplified language of leadership. There's no clear understanding of what's expected of leaders. And uh, the way that you assess leaders, the way that you measure performance, and the way that you help them develop at all levels um, gets very complicated. So before I even talk about um, how leaders themselves can uh, help to drive simplification to unlock the value that you mentioned from the BCG study, um, I just wanted to point out that even inside the efforts in, inside of companies to grow and develop leaders, there's enormous complexity and I think enormous opportunity to really simplify. So one of the ways that we've looked at how to do that is to uh, look at the data. Um, and uh, there is a lot of, there's a lot of good uh, assessment data out there from a variety of sources to really see where are the patterns and themes, um, where are what I would call the, the, the meta capabilities um, that, that, that all leaders universally really need to focus on. Um, it turns out when we did an analysis of that data from uh, over 100,000 hours of in leadership interviews, 20,000 global assessments, it really came down to only eight things. There were really only eight core capabilities that all leaders needed to demonstrate, regardless of whether you were on the front line or you were sitting in the C-suite. And if you could focus on improving those capabilities, you could actually drive business outcomes in an accelerated fashion. 
So uh, rather than go into all eight, let me just uh, pick on the ones that I think are really close to the topic at hand. I'll tell you what, give me one or two. Give me one or two because I want H.H. and Holly to chime in. So give me your your top two, and then we'll, we'll get this started. Go ahead. Yeah, so the, 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 the first is really, I want to pick up on something that Bonnie said. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 just, uh, that Holly said, rather. Sorry, Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, um, you know, when you're going to drive simplification in an organization, you're really stepping on people's toes. You're really trying, starting to change what is happening in the organization. Um, therefore, influence becomes catamount. Leaders need to really understand and walk in the shoes of the stakeholders um, that they're trying to move. And in a matrixed organization where decision rights are not necessarily clear, um, it's important that they know the stakeholder map, they know what makes people tick, and they really try and approach things from others' perspectives rather than their own. And the second is inspirational leadership. It's really important for leaders who are driving simplification um, to understand how to put energy into situations. Because when people um, when people are, are trying to change, when you're trying to change something, you're often um, getting into people's inner blocks. They're saying, "I can't do that. I won't do that. That's not the way we do things." And you've got to be able to identify those blocks and help your team and people in the organization really overcome that. So those are just two that come up when when talking about driving simplification. Great, and we could bring in more of the eight during the rest of the conversation. I just want to give a chance to H.H. Jorgensen to chime in and Holly Benson as well. H.H., thoughts on what Neil has presented on the table so far? That's really interesting, and that goes very well in line, uh, though um, with slightly different um, nuances to our research results that we have just published. Um, So there are a couple of get-right-for-leaders that, that um, are similar. There's some consistency, but listen to this, Neil. Um, We have one major topic and three minor. The one major thing that we found out is that those organizations that manage change best drive change from more than just the top. They are able to um, mobilize the entire broader middle management and empower them and to uh, uh, make make um, basically all middle managers become change leaders. Uh, and so it's obviously, uh, obviously that you can have a multiplication effect on this. And so we, so, so what are the things that uh, the, the best organizations do differently than leaning on to, to the characteristics that you were hinting? We found that the enabled and empowered leader that becomes a real driving change um, uh, is a role model um, and can really role model and lead change. I think that goes well. But more specifically, um, uh, the person can really uh, convey the case for change and can even better uh, empower the next, uh, let's say, layer or identify uh, passionate uh, uh, potential change leaders and, and enable them to also uh, go uh, and take that role, which is a pretty hard trick. Um, but it's only we found that only uh, just about 20% of all organizations have uh, some sort of characteristics and can do that, and, and they are in turn, and that's uh, um, the payoff, very successful in landing their change project, almost 100% successful change projects. Uh, I don't think uh, everyone enjoys that. So it becomes very interesting. Role modeling, conveying a compelling change, a case of change, and empowering the next uh, change leaders. 
Thank you, H.H. Holly Benson, let's get your two cents or ten cents or $10,000 comments on this, please. I think I'm going to veer off maybe on a bit of a tangent here and tell mm-hmm. you I don't think that simplification is the only issue of the day. I actually see a dynamic tension between three equally uh, important issues. One absolutely is simplification. Agree with that completely. But I think there are two others that are equally important. The second one is agility and speed. If I'm getting one question from clients right now, it is how do I become an agile enterprise? Not just agile software development, not just agile IT, but how do I become an agile enterprise? And I think the third one is innovation. So that when we then come back and ask the question, what kind of leaders do we need for these organizations of the future? They are leaders who have to manage not only simplification, but also agility and also an urge for innovation. And I think who can do that? Number one, I think they're people who have to be able to multitask and think three-dimensionally. I think they have to either be able to see the unprecedented themselves or surround themselves with people who are very good at that. I think they have to create vision and mission and be able to give people a sense of something larger than themselves. And I think they have to be extraordinarily good at trend spotting in a three-dimensional way to kind of see what the future is. We can't just simplify and optimize for what's going on today. We've got to take into account the the digital environment and the sea level changes going on in the market and, and optimize for those as well. Great points, Holly. Neil Navaris, I'm sure you want to comment on what Holly has said and perhaps also H.H.? Well, I just think it's fascinating, Bonnie, because you asked me about the maybe we get to the other eight, and between HH and Holly, we've covered them. Mm-hmm. Um, so ah. thanks, Holly, for broadening the aperture here. Um, and and I, I think, I just picking up on what you said, Holly, I, I, I think that's right. There, there's a bit of a trap um, just to dr- try and drive operational efficiency through simplification um, that you're not you know, taking the broader opportunity um, that that simplification is merely a platform for then seeing out over the horizon, for seeing around corners, and really trying to innovate and jump ahead of the competition, or perhaps you know in doing so, creating new market spaces, creating those new waves of growth that really positions you differently um, in the market. So, so I think you know, you're spot on that I, I, we really need leaders who have the breadth and flexibility to be able to do all of these things, not just to focus on one. The interesting thing is if we look at our data, um, there are very few leaders who can do all of these, and that's where putting the right team together and having high levels of self-awareness so that leaders are starting to work uh, with each other from each other's strengths um, and really trying to create a, a leadership team and system that can do all of this um, can really help the sum of the parts be greater than the individual parts. Thank you, Neil. I'm going to, with the permission of the panel, I'm going to move ahead to a slightly different aspect of this topic from the notes that H.H. Jorgensen, Hans Henrik, sent me, H.H. Uh, from IBM. Is that okay if we go in a slightly different direction? Everybody good? Absolutely. 
Okay. I want HH, please, to tell me, tell us how you define what you call change architects. I, I'm looking at your notes here. You say uh, change architects as a group have at least 75% of their projects are considered a complete success. That means three out of four met all predefined goals. They came in on time. They came in on budget. They came in within the, the projected scope of the project. So I think it's time to move to what do you call a change architect? And is that the persona we've been describing in the first part of this roundtable. H.H., please start us. Okay, thanks. Yes, so so talking to a very uh, solid number of, uh, 40 the number of organizations around the world in almost 50 countries, um, we found that there are uh, very uh, different levels of performance in succeeding projects. And we found that about one out of five uh, can be considered a, we call it change architect. They are particularly successful. They have a success rate of landing all their projects, all their change initiatives. We didn't look at, the, at their, how, how much profit or turnover or growth. Mm-hmm. We looked at to what extent are you able to move and change in a, in a very complex and, and fast-moving environment. And uh, those who are very successful, who are able to land three out of four of the projects or even more, um, uh, like on time and budget and in uh, spe- uh, specified scope, um, mm-hmm. that they have three strong characteristics that have been somewhat overlooked. And, and they are lead at all levels, and I think I hinted the, uh, that one just before, the ability to mobilize more than just the top management continuously. You still need the top management, there's no doubt about it, but to mobilize leaders at all levels. One particular broad resource is obviously middle, middle management that we see most organizations squeezed when it comes to change and transformation. This, so lead at all levels. Uh, use all, everyone you can mobilize as a leader. Now, and, and also, uh, secondly, we found that make change matter, meaning that uh, how does change matter to everyone? Well, begin to measure it. Everybody's learned to measure the normal project uh, progress, but please uh, begin to measure the soft stuff, uh, user adoption, commitment in roles, uh, or even leadership commitment. There, there are many of them. But the main thing is begin to measure change. And thirdly is become more professional, build your change model. And we found here's a revolution taking place right now. Most organizations, as opposed to like five or six years ago, now have some sort of change or organizational transformation function guiding them professionally. And, and of course, the change architects, which is, you will have guessed by now, is not a person, but it's an organizational mm-hmm. type uh, because they're built around change. They build a professional change organizations and they do it well. The rest are not professional about it yet. It has become a profession, yes, but is not. Uh, we are not professional yet uh, uh, overall. So, um, and how are you professional about your change organization? You need to have a clear address. You need to have dedicated resources. You simply need uh, to be structured and, in uh, briefly said, professional. So, lead at all levels. Make change matter by measuring change, and build a professional change organization. This is what we found that the best ones do. This is a recipe. Thank you. We love recipes. Holly Benson, talk to us. What are your thoughts? 
I think one of the things that often gets lost in the discussion of change is that there are really a couple different types of change that we're bringing in here. One is what you might call transactional change, which is the project-based type of change. Somebody has uh, a new system, a new process, a new job responsibility. How do you get people to take that up? And I think that, to me, is, is where the concept of this very tactically focused change architect makes a whole huge amount of sense, and, and you get into that range of skills. But I think underneath it all is what goes by the name of adaptive change, which is when you're trying to change actual values and beliefs and behavioral norms. That's a C-level change in the organization. And that requires a different sort of strategy and a different sort of skill. And so I think one of the things that as a change discipline all of us probably think about is what sort of change problem am I dealing with here and what can I best bring to the table in terms of skills and in terms terms of methods and tools to help prosecute that and drive that through my organization. Thank you. Neil Navaris, join us. Yeah, go ahead, HH. Uh, this is this is uh, HH. Um, so, Holly, good point. And I couldn't agree more that there are the, you can't you can't consider any kind of change with a general recipe. Um, so there are differences. Um, so we have learned to differ between uh, technology-driven change and organizationally-driven change. And I think this is just what you uh, lined up. And there are uh, slight changes in this. Uh, obviously, the more organizationally driven change, the more you're dependent on s- simplification and top leadership um, uh, sponsorship. Uh, and now we're back to where we started. Um, and obviously, uh, once you're into technology change, you're very much dependent on driving your adoption very um, effectively. However, we found one interesting thing is that we always have the same activities in those successful projects. Uh, we can measure that very directly, but they have a different emphasis. They have a different, let's say, mix in the cocktail, a uh, slightly different tone to it. There's a different way of, of course, um, bringing tough messages across. I agree, but the activities are all the same. And so that's why the three um, main building blocks that the change architects get right that I refer to they can be considered for all at that level. Um, and, and, and that's why I'd like uh, to recommend everyone to take a look at them. Thank you. Uh, Holly, you want to talk back, or would you like, shall we bring in Neil Navaris? Neil, comment, whoever got, wants actually, to go I'm, next. I've, I've really got to say something here, because yes. I, I really like where this is going and the idea of the different types of change, and yet what you do is the same. Let me add another layer to this, and that's mm-hmm. the type of change moment that's happening. Um, the way I tend to look, we tend to look at it is there are moments that you respond to and moments you create. And we're finding that the moments you respond to, when there's external urgency, actually, uh, while it's stressful, it's often easier to drive the change for the leadership team if they, if they know what they're doing, if they, as HH is saying, you know, follow a good playbook, um, and get it right. The urgency is there. The permission is there. What are harder uh, are, uh, you know, what I'm hearing Holly say, these, uh, these types of adaptive change um, when, when you have to create the moment, when the urgency is not there. So, for example, um, you know, to, tale of two companies. One company I'm working with um, really was on the brink um, and failing in its industry in a, in a market lagging position, um, it was do or die. 
and they had to do it. The CEO, the new CEO, came in and could, you know, the the moment was 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 he was responding to that, um, and that meant that they could make had the permission to make rapid changes. Another company I'm working with, they're highly successful financial services firm. They've worked through the downturn successfully. Their capital position's good, profit margins are up, stock market's great. They know they have to change, but it's really hard for this CEO and this leadership team to create the kind of adaptive change in this moment. Um, and so I think that's a, a bit of a new frontier. Companies who can, in a moment of success, really reinvent themselves and drive that kind of adaptive change. Thank you, Neil. Um, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction now because I'm looking at the clock and we need to get going and finish up our roundtable before we take a break. That comes just before the crystal ball predictions round. Holly Benson, I'm looking at your ample notes you sent before the show and there's something that catches my eye. I'm not sure if we brought it up yet, but let's go in the direction of what is an agile enterprise. And I'm reading here you say it's not just agile IT or agile software development, but it's end-to-end agile business operations and you come that interest wasn't there just 18 months ago. Now it's the top question you get from your clients. So we want to define Agile Enterprise in the context of our discussion, Holly? I think Agile Enterprise is really being driven by digital and and by data democratization. Um, and what's fascinating to me about it, that the way I would define it is an enterprise that is able to respond real-time to market forces and to do it um, extremely quickly and extremely efficiently uh, and to meet challenges that come up virtually out of nowhere. And, you know, let me give you one example. There uh, happens to be a bank that, that I was speaking to, and their strategy for years and years and their differentiation has been about superior service, leading service in the branch. And I don't know about you, but if last time I went into to, uh, my my bank's branch office, um, probably the youngest person in there was 45. And, and I think that trend is only continuing. And all of a sudden, when you look at kind of tomorrow, the, the banking consumer base of tomorrow, um, where, where are they banking? They're banking online. And they're not just mm-hmm. banking with the online versions of the major banks. They're banking with online firms that have no brick and mortar. So all right. of a sudden, how do you take an organization that's built its entire strategy around service in brick and mortar branches and respond to something that's going to determine whether or not not, they can capture the customer base or consumer base of the future. That's agility. This, this trend has come up. It's come in. It, it is nothing that we've really dealt with before. It requires a, a massive sea level change in how we approach things. How do we respond to that, and how do we do it very quickly before we're out of the game? Thank you, Holly. And I want to bring in one more comment from your notes before we invite Neil and HH to to join us on this this, uh, topic. You say the behemoths, talking about market and competition, the behemoths are now struggling to compete with the tech innovators around them who are revolutionizing their markets. The behemoths are not built for it. Kind of like comparing a T-Rex with a Velociraptor. I love that comment. I have to get you to mention that on air before we move on. Go ahead, Holly. (laughs) That's probably my (laughs) earth science background coming in. But if you look at a T-Rex, when it lived, 
absolutely dominated um, the dinosaur world. It was the super predator, and it was large and powerful and strong and unbeatable. And yet, as things evolved, what didn't happen was a larger, stronger T-Rex. What happened was the Velociraptor, which was quick and nimble and could literally run circles around something like a T-Rex. And, and I think that really calls into question um, issues of organizational structure that a lot of our large organizations today across all industry sectors have been built to, oper- uh, to, to optimize operational efficiencies, scale, standardization, um, even simplification, um, are all around optimizing operational efficiency. And that structure is really antithetical to innovation. And so the, the, the dynamic tension that I see so many organizations struggling with is they are the T-Rex now. How do they begin to develop uh, attributes of the Velociraptor to compete with those small, nimble tech firms out there that are driving the change? Thank you, Holly. Neil Navaris, I'm sure you have something to say. Talk to me. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it is a bit of a paradox because these T-Rexes have the ability, if they get it right, to um, innovate at scale. Um, you know, unless, unless you're going to have a tremendous capital thrown at you, um, and there are plenty of success stories there, um, you know, with smaller firms, it, it's, it, the larger firms actually have the ability and, and, and the resources to be able to get it right, if they can get it right, so to speak. Um, one of the things that we're seeing is this concept of uh, my, my colleagues, John Silly Brown and um, John Hagel, talk about edge innovation. Um, and that the, these larger companies, they don't try and pull the innovation toward the center where it's going to get squashed by kind of these structures and processes that are not built to allow that to happen, but they let it happen out at the edge. And they create uh, the ability for, uh, you know, real business leaders. They, they actually take people um, who are uh, respected and know how to get things done across the network in these organizations um, and put them a bit out on the edge and give them the freedom and the flexibility to go and create that innovation and build a team around them. Um, it's an interesting experiment. We're seeing it. Prove some results in lots of large organizations, but uh, you know, can can big organizations uh, writ large uh, be able to create that innovation? That that I think remains to be seen. Thank you, HH. Talk to us. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I think uh, it's fantastic. What uh, I hear both both points, and and I, and I like to get into the world of dinosaurs, but simplification. <laughs> um, so it's got to serve a purpose. Uh, simplification. Uh, um, so you know. The ultimate goal of simplification uh, has to be the scaling up uh, to get into big business. Uh, and then we're back to the T-Rexes. They can probably do it best, uh, best if they can get it right. Simplification, I guess, on its own is uh, almost just an aesthetic business uh, art or something like that. And, um, and the, But it is on the agenda of, of the C-suite all over. Um, I'm... Mm-hmm helping a CIO of a very large bank in Latin America on simplification. And, and for him, it's, it's really about, uh, I mean, his contribution to the survival of the bank it sounds very dramatic, but if you look at the right time scale and, and, and just take the parallel to the dinosaurs, it's fair enough. And his, his contribution to the survival of the bank is to deliver robust and high-quality solutions for new bank products quickly, 
uh, combining market needs, uh, just like uh, Holly said, uh, quickly with demands uh, from the, the business units in the bank, uh, ability to launch through marketing, and uh, deploying his own IT uh, expertises, uh, which are really complex too. And so, so he's very focused on uh, combating complexity. And, um, and he's concerned, you know, is it me uh, who is just not skilled enough and understanding the world, or, or is it just not uh, uh, possible to, to simplify? And so, so, he, he, so, so we, we respect in the name of innovation that things uh, will be complex uh, when you build a model. That's all right. A model is a simplicity, uh, simplification in itself. But when it comes back to leadership, um, the number one strategy for a senior leader to follow to make his uh, is to make his managers accountable for uh, the projects uh, for the for the projects or for the change or transformation. So, so I encourage uh, the abandoning of the dual worlds where we see, uh, you know, um, silo project developments uh, mm-hmm. and day-to-day business living their own worlds. It's schizophrenic. It's two worlds. It's got to be one. And the, the, the key to that, and that's what the change architects that we talk about uh, gave us the clue on, they actually uh, make uh, change matter. They they make the business leaders accountable uh, to get, um, and get the measures into the scorecards, not for the day, only for the day-to-day business, but also changing into the future so they can run fast. And that makes them very uh, outcome-focused. It makes them quicker. It makes, them, it makes everybody simpler. So, so I think and that is the, the best uh, breeding ground for an agile environment. I'd like to hear Holly's comment. Kali, you want to do a quick rebuttal or addition? No, I mean, I, I think, I think uh, HH's definition of, of what's important in the change architect and the role of the change architect, that, that stands. And, and I think the focus of the change architect um, may, may vary slightly, may need to vary. Um, to the extent, I don't, wouldn't say it's a rebuttal, but I actually see evolving, and maybe this gets to the final section of the show, but I see evolving organizations that are comprised of two different types of entities or internal organizations that have very different policies, structures, types of of people and and management processes. One is around simplification and optimization and operational efficiency, and the other um, to, to use Neil's word, maybe maybe it's out at the edge uh, is something that that is agile and innovative because I think how you optimize those two different things may in fact be very different, and those things may have to coexist in a single organization. Thank but, you very much, Holly. Yep. That, this the, Go ahead, this Neil. idea that um, this their their CEO and executive team accountability I think is critical for both of these worlds. Um, one bank I worked with, the CEO, pretty much, you know, disbanded these shadow project organizations that were driving multi-million-dollar efficiency initiatives, and, and turned it back to the executive team. Said, "You have to run this, and I'm accountable. And if we don't get this right, I don't have the ability to run the bank." Um, so, so I think accountability really sits at the center of both of these worlds. Here, Thank here. you all. Guess what? You know what? 
We are not going to take a break because this is just going too fast. There's too much velocity. This is such an agile panel. There you go. I got that word in. Such an agile panel. You're all veloso velocito raptors or whatever it is. Yes. So I have a, before we roll into uh, segue, Brad, no break. <laughs> Brad says no need to put out this fire. Yes, we are on a roll here. Uh, question for the panel. In my intro, I mentioned I had a, a question. I'd like you all to answer this with just a yes or no, and then we're going to slide very seamlessly into our predictions crystal ball roundtable section at the end and we're each going to get uh, each have about a full two minutes for your predictions but starting with neil Navaris, then hh jorgensen and holly benson what if a leader an established respected uh in the trenches leader who really has a good reputation but what if they were part of the architecture that became complex can they simply put on another hat let's say in 2015 and say well i've seen the light it's time to simplify the organization now listen to me we're going to do this and that and we're all going to embrace simplification and we're going to change everything does that leader still have credibility can they be part of that that t-rex world and then move it to the velociraptor world neil navaris give me a one sentence answer and then we'll go through the panel go ahead I, I think it's hard. I've seen very few leaders be able to do that. Generally, coming in new, you have a new voice, um, but a few have been able to reinvent themselves. It takes listening and really building relationships and getting consensus around that reinvention. Okay, good. Thank you. H.H. Jorgensen, what's your answer? <clears throat> the leadership and this is a this is a trend. Uh, leadership mm-hmm. in the future can come from anywhere. It will be stronger and stronger. Okay. So it will be natural that you become a leader um, uh, for, to drive a certain uh, a certain initiative. And it may be very temporary, uh, but it may be because you have the vision and because your organization is able to mobilize and empower you for that particular purpose. And afterwards, it may be that you uh, fall, uh, fall back into the, to the ranks of where you came from, maybe, or maybe you move on to somewhere even further on the edge. And mm-hmm. that's how I see it. Thank you. Holly Benson, thoughts? Um, yeah. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. And I think it's more than possible. I think it's imperative in the sense that these organizations can't wait for a change in leadership to change, to get ah. new blood in. These guys at the top have got to be able to do this. And I think about, you know, Gandhi's great quote about be the change you want to see in the world. How powerful is it for someone with integrity to stand up and say, hey, I did it this way when I perceived the market to be like this, but things have changed, and I have a new sense of learning. I learn continuously. I have new realizations, and now we need to go here. I think that's incredibly powerful because it's exactly what he's going to be, he or she is going to be asking everyone underneath him to do. I love it. I think you just wrote the speech for that person. We're going to have to put that out somewhere. Thank you very much. Guess what? We are down to seven minutes till the end of the show, so I'm going to give you each exactly maximum two minutes for your prediction. So, Neil Navaris at Deloitte, what do you see coming down the pike? You want to go toward 2020, since that was part of our title, Leaders 2020, Leading Simplification Within Your Business, or do you want to pick a different time frame? Two minutes on the clock, Neil Navaris, go. All right. I think that uh, definitely this dual track of simplifying um, as a platform uh, for then freeing up uh, resources and energy for innovation um, is the name of the game. 
I, I think in 2020, the organizations that would, will, will look back and say we're, we're successful were the ones that um, I really learned from, from uh, Holly, what you said around, they didn't wait for a change to happen, for a moment to be thrust on them. They seized the moment. The leadership team reinvented themselves, and they moved forward on both fronts. And uh, at the end of the day, there was high, high accountability uh, that uh, these companies took to make it happen and show the results. Thank you very much, Neil Deveris, H.H. Jorgensen, in the Alps somewhere unknown. We won't tell anybody where you are. What do you see? Can you see clearer into the future from the Alps, H.H.? Maybe that's the operative question. What do you think? Uh, well, uh, given the weather today, no. Uh, but, okay. but we know a lot of things, uh, um, independent of the, 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 moment, uh, the, the weather at the moment. Uh, that is that um, it looks as if leadership can come from anywhere. And for sure, it's going to be leadership in the future. It's going to be far more agile. I, I agree. And I also agree on Holly's point that, and we know that for sure, transparency, the digital transparency is uh, driving that, a large share of that. So it's removing the... Um, um, uh, so, so transparency means removing the information monopoly of uh, the classic managerial hierarchy. Um, and that's very interesting. We see that um, in in all quite old organizations taking place right now. And and the second thing is, um, like I said, we see that the ability to mobilize leaders at all levels. And so that means enabling talent and uh, vision anywhere in the hierarchy. So in the future. Um, and for the well-organized organized organization, uh, change or um, uh, innovation can be driven from anywhere, uh, from the top, from the bottom, from the middle, coming from the sideways, or like we said today, from the edge. Um, so it will be fast, uh, it will, be, um, it will um, live for a temporary purpose, and it will be very outcome-focused. Uh, this will be uh, the future within the next five years. Thank you, H.H. Holly Benson, I saved exactly two minutes for you. Go ahead. All righty. I certainly believe that that duality, to use Neil's word, is uh, going to continue to be very important. But uh, we see two other trends happening that we think are really crucial and are going to be very important for leaders to master. One is um, actually disaggregation. We think we're going to see an increase of disaggregation of large entities, whether in terms of spinoffs, whether in terms of divestitures, whether in terms of companies breaking up. And as I was reflecting on this yesterday, Yesterday, lo and behold, that great business publication, USA Today, um, runs a story that Goldman Sachs has now advised J.P. Morgan to, to break itself up into between two and four entities to unlock value. So I think this trend towards disaggregation um, is real. I think we're going to see more of it. I think we're going to see more um, emphasis on small rather than large. Along with that, I think we're going to see an increasing importance of networks, particularly around innovation, where large firms are part with smaller firms, putting together um, consortia, partnerships, networks that become an extended organization, and I think we're going to see leaders having to rise um, to meet the challenges of both those trends. Thank you very much. We have a little bit of extra time left over. Three minutes, my goodness, that's a world of time. Uh, Neil Navaris, let me go back to you. Um, if we met again next year and we were talking about change architects talking about simplification and you were looking back at everything you said on the show today how much do you think would change in 12 months in among the biggest companies let's say 
Um, not to sound uh, uh, too pessimistic, but probably very little. We're talking about large-scale change. Um, and at the same time, the one or two companies that can move at pace are probably going to create some competitive advantage. So um, writ large, probably not much, but a few will jump into the lead. That's what I wanted to know. HH, I'll give you the same question. I need a quick answer, and then we'll go to Holly. HH, what will change in 12 months? Yeah, I, wish you, I wish you had said 48 months. Uh, but anyway, um, so the um, it will it is a stronger focus on on customer centricity that that still is, is still on a hype um, and as it levels off we will walk backwards in in the in the value chain and uh, and build the uh, agile uh, like organizations like Holly indicated that we do see smaller units um, and we do see uh, the ability to be uh, more effective and, and more productive, more um, and focused by organizing agile, which in in a slightly more transparent world. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, the nearby the near forecast. Thank you, Holly. I need a one sentence response. Twelve months from today, how much change of change will you see? I think I'm going to second Neil's perspective on that. You're not going to see wholesale change across industry, but you're going to start to see breakout firms who get it and get it right. Terrific. What a great panel. I can't thank the three of you enough. Neil Neveris at Deloitte, H.H. Jorgensen at IBM somewhere in Austria, and Holly Benson at Infosys. Shout-outs to Dave Fowler, sponsor of this series. Lindsay Nelson, you worked your you-know-what off putting this panel together. You did an outstanding job, Lindsay, and thanks for the great tweets. Kishore Gordy at Infosys, thanks for all your interest in energy and promoting the show. SAP Services, thank you, Brad, and the Business Channel team. Uh, let's see, that's the end of our broadcast week. I'll be back next week with a brand new edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. And uh, we're looking forward to another Internet of Things with Game Changers and another episode of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Glad to kick off the new year with such a great panel. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.